Gospel of Matthew. That's your first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. You know, they say that one man's trash is another man's treasure. You heard that phrase? Well, there's a guy by the name of Stan Caffey. He's getting married in 2007. So he'd you know, been living alone. He's got his own house and garage and all, all this stuff. And he's going to marry a gal. She's got her own place, too. And she's got her own garage for, worth of stuff. They're going to combine their homes, you know, so they're getting married. So, like, we don't have a big sale. Let's just get rid of all this stuff. And so they, they had a big sale. They sold computers and clothes and bikes and tools. And in his garage, Stan had this uh, really old tattered copy of the Declaration of Independence hanging up there. Just been up there for a decade, 10 years. Put that in the garage sale, you know. And so they had their big sale. And uh, there was a guy by the name of uh, Michael Sparks who happened to attend this sale. And he's rummaging through all the stuff there. And he sees that, that old tattered uh, Declaration of Independence. And he goes, you know, that looks very interesting. And he, he was able to get him down to $2.48. Okay? A true garage sailor. You know what I'm saying? It was probably Mark III. And like, hey, would you take two twenty-five for it? And you start bartering with him. So anyway, he walks away with this Declaration of Independence. Um, sure enough, uh, that was quite a find. It was one of the rare 1823 copies. And so what he was able to do, uh, he was able to turn that around at an auction. And he sold that little piece of paper for 477000 $650. Not bad for a day's journey at the garage sale. Now, uh, Mr. Caffey, you know, you'd think you'd be like, what in the world happened? But this is what his remark was. He said, you know, I'm kind of happy for that Sparks guy. You know, if I still had it, why well, it'd still be hanging here in the garage and I still wouldn't know what it was worth. You know, there's a lot of people that are like that. And may I say there's probably billions of people like that. You miss what matters most. You don't really understand the significance of what is right in front of you. Now, the Declaration of Independence, that's one thing. But God and the revelation of his word is priceless. And yet there's many people that just like, I don't, I don't see the value in it. I don't see the importance. I go to a hotel room. There's this Gideon's Bible sitting there. I got one in my house. And, and you see people with it, it's, it's everywhere, and yet, to you, it has hardly any value. And I, I can just tell you that I relate to that. There's a good chunk of my life where revelation about God, Jesus Christ, His Word, that meant absolutely nothing to me. No interest. The whole idea of, like, we're going to have a Bible study, I'm like, I, I would never go to something like that. That would just sound, like, boring. Why would you ever want to do that? Because, you see, my eyes were blinded to the reality of just how rich this word is. And you might be like that. In fact, today, you may be here and you actually place very little value on the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, you wouldn't be alone. Uh, today, we're going to meet some folks that that is exactly the situation. In fact, when we come to Matthew chapter 13, we have been making our way through the gospel of Matthew. And the Pharisees and the scribes had placed little value on Jesus Christ and his word. If you remember, as we were in Matthew chapter 12, everything kind of came to a head. Matthew 12 is the turning point in the gospel of Matthew. Because what had happened is the people were going, the miracles this man Jesus does must 
indicate that he is the son of David, that he is the Messiah. Furthermore, his words and how he explains the law, how he how he actually authenticates that indeed he's the Messiah by his miracles. We can't deny that he's the son of David. And you know what the response was to the Pharisees and the scribes when they actually said, hey, this guy must be the Messiah. They said, no way. We think he does these miracles like healing those who were lame and those who couldn't see gives them sight and actually opening the ears of those who were deaf and healing people that even had come to a point where they actually died and he raised them again. They're saying, I'll tell you how he does this. The Pharisees and the scribes says he does this by the power of Satan. He's in league with the devil himself, and that is why he has the power to do these miracles. He couldn't deny the miracles. You have people speaking that never spoke and lame people that are now walking. You have people rejoicing and praising God for the miracles that had occurred in their life. But the point of Jesus coming to this earth wasn't to do miracles for miracles' sake. It was to authenticate, I am indeed the promised one of the Old Testament. Believe in me. In fact, he gives this great invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me, every single one of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. But when the Pharisees and the scribes, and they spoke for the nation, said, this guy's in league with the devil, that was the turning point. And when you come to Matthew chapter 13, everything has changed. Jesus now is no longer going to speak directly and give these great discourses to the masses like the Sermon on the Mount. Now Jesus starts speaking in parables. In fact, you can see it in Matthew chapter 13. That very day, Matthew 13, verse 1, that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. And so Jesus gets out of the house. He's in Capernaum. And he actually goes and he actually gets into a boat. Now, about one mile from Capernaum. Okay, Capernaum's on the Sea of Galilee. One mile south and west is what is called the Cove of the Parables. That is what it's commonly named today. And there is this inlet. And it's got like a horseshoe shape. It's got a big hill. And there is what what they believe Jesus did. He would get into the boat where he would then be just a little bit away from the masses, and then he could actually speak. Now you're going, well, if he's in the boat, I mean, how are the people going to hear his parables? How are they going to actually hear him? Well, even modern-day Israeli scientists have gone out, and they've actually done studies. And sure enough, there is an environmental amplification that takes place when you are in in the water in a boat, and the masses could hear. Easily, within 100 yards of being in that boat, people could hear very clearly what Jesus had to say. And so that's what takes place here. Jesus is sitting down. That is the position of a rabbi who is going to teach. And notice the crowds are standing. Now, if you're really going to honor someone, you would stand. Now, they very well may be these crowds honoring Jesus, or they may be standing because literally there's so many people. And you know how it is. You're at a football game, and you'd really like to sit there and watch the game, and then someone else, someone stands up. You know, and he's about 320 and 6'7". You know, like, oh. So what do you have to do? If you want to see, you've got to stand up, and then you're blocking everybody else's view. Maybe that was what's taking place. Everybody is standing. But one thing is certain. They're all keyed in and clued in to Jesus. Because the leaders just said, he's in league with the devil. Jesus makes some other statements and says, you've got to believe in me. When he walks out of that house, they're expecting that Jesus is going to probably just lay it out crystal clear. 
Maybe he is going to take them head on. Maybe there's going to be something even more significant than any of the previous miracles. Maybe he's going to do this sign from heaven like the the Pharisees and the scribes wanted him to do. Uh, You saw that earlier in chapter 12. But when Jesus gets in the parable, he's sitting down. He opens his mouth and he speaks to them in parables. And then he begins by telling them this story. Look at verse 3. This was not what they're expecting. He says, behold, the sower went out to sow. Okay, now they're all like, the sower? He's going to be talking about farming? And verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And then he keeps going, and he's talking. Now these, the people are like, whoa, 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 what is Jesus doing? He's talking about farming. Now, what is a, a parable? A parable literally means to lay aside something, to cast something aside another. So what you would do, you would take something that was well known, like farming or being in the marketplace or fishing, things that they really knew well, and then you would lay that aside some spiritual truth that they didn't know as well. Okay? So he would take something, Jesus would take an illustration from the material world, and he would then show them uh, spiritual truth from that by telling these stories. And that's what a parable is. And so Jesus begins this parable, and he starts talking about farming. Now, everybody in Israel was extremely familiar with farming because most of them were farmers. Almost everyone had plots of land, family ground, that they farmed. And so when Jesus starts talking about farming, they're talking, he's talking about something they know extremely well. And he starts talking about a sower, and he goes out to sow. And this, was, this is something that they would see uh, seasonally. And this is what happened. Like, in the months like between October and December, this was the time that you actually planted your fields, okay? And so what a sower would do, you would just get this long bag, okay, and it would drape over your shoulder, and you'd stick out your hand in there, and you would start spreading the seed onto that ground, okay? And so they were very familiar with this. Jesus is telling them something they, are, they know all about. They've probably done it hundreds of times. And he says he goes and he sows the seed. And so he would go out and he would just sow these seeds. Maybe even at this very time that Jesus is speaking, there are people that are even in these nearby fields and they are sowing. And he says, first of all, he says the sower goes out to sow a seed. And some of the seed, verse 4, fell beside the road and the birds came and ate them up. Now, the roads there, they were paths. They didn't have fences. Like when we're driving through the country, you see all these fences over there? Well, they didn't have fences. They had paths. They were about three feet wide, and, they, and that's where all the animals and all the people walked. And there were paths everywhere, and in between those paths, that were the, that's where the fields were. And so all these animals and people were always walking on it. The sun kept baking it down. It, they were literally about as hard as pavement. Okay? And so... Sometimes when you're casting your seed and you're doing it, he'd rhythmically walk up and down his field. Some of that seed is going to land on that path. And it has nowhere to go, okay? Because that's, that's as hard as rock. And so what would happen is the seed would be there, and the birds are always looking for a free meal, right? And, you know, that's where they always found it, right there on the path. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Guess what? The birds came, they ate them all up. We're like, okay, We're, yeah, we got that. And then Jesus says, verse 5, others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And they would be very familiar with this. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't saying that he threw the sower, throws the seed into soil that has some rocks in it. 
uh, they would, all the farmers would pick out the rocks. Now, we have farmers in our church. And, like, when I was, was a kid, we'd go and visit my grandparents in North Dakota. And one of the projects that we would have out there was rock picking. Has anybody done rock picking? Oh, bless you. Okay. So, you know, like, you know, I'm all excited about being on the farm. Let's work cattle. Can we, ride, you know, ride the horses? And when they said, we're going to do some rock picking, oh, my. You go out in the field, and you pick up all these rocks. And the reason you do is because you don't want that rock to go through the combine. Because if the rock goes through the combine, that leads to some very unpleasant experiences on the farm. Okay? And so you would always be picking up these rocks. And so Jesus isn't talking about there's rocks in the soil. What he's talking about is that there is a like bedrock of limestone in Israel. And sometimes it would be extremely close to the surface. There may be only an inch or two or three inches of soil between that and this bedrock. And some of that, you don't really know exactly where all that bedrock is. Some of those seeds would fall into that soil, but it's really shallow, and there's bedrock there. And what would happen is when that seed starts to germinate, those roots, they hit that rock. And like, we can't go anywhere. So they try to go out, but they can't establish depth. And so foliage just starts shooting up. And you're like, whoa, this looks good. But in reality, because they don't have any substantial root system, just like Jesus says, it springs up and it has no depths of soil. And verse six, but when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. It just came up. It looked good initially and it dies off. They're familiar with that. And then Jesus says, others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Now, they would be familiar with this. You see, thorns are native to the soil. The seed is the foreign entity. Okay, the wheat isn't just naturally there. You got to plant the wheat. Do you have to plant the weeds? No, the thorns are there and the thorns in Israel could get up about six feet high. They have a very fibrous, substantial root system. And now let me just if you haven't figured this out, I'm going to help you with some of your lawn projects. But have you noticed that you when you mow over the weeds, you think like, huh, that'll teach those little weeds to be sprouting up like that and wrecking my beautiful lawn that they they don't go away. In fact, what's the first thing to emerge from your yard, right? All of your St. Augustine grass is kind of like this. It's growing this way. And the Dallas grass is just shooting up, right? And like, I just mowed that yesterday. And there it is, three inches. How did that happen, right? And, and they're hard to kill. I mean, we're going through the worst drought, the hottest summer in Texas. That's saying something. And what's surviving? Actually, the weeds are doing quite fine. How is that? Because they're tough. This is their native soil. They're meant to thrive and survive, even in the hottest of central Texas summers. And so they have these, these weeds. You know, the only way to get rid of the weeds, it's not by cutting them down. You can't even, even if you burn it, I'm going to scorch it. Guess what? The roots are down. They're like, well, you know, and as soon as you're done with their fire, they sprout back up. And guess what? The only way to ever get rid of the weeds is you've got to pull them out. And you ever notice that your grass has very small little root system? And to pull out the substantial root system, the weeds, they're meant to last. And Jesus, when he talked about that, they're very familiar. The weeds, the weeds always killed their crop. And they're very familiar with that. Jesus says, guess what? Some of that seed fell in that soil. It looked good, but there were weeds in there. And the weeds took over, and it killed your plant. And they're familiar with that. And then Jesus says this. Verse, this would have been shocking. Are you ready? Especially you farmers. And others, verse 8, fell on the good soil, and it yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, whoa, 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 wait a second here. 
farming in Israel. If you're a farmer, uh, you average between uh, getting a five-fold yield to a 15-fold yield. And that means you plant one seed, and if you got a 15-fold yield, you got 15 seeds out of that, okay? 15 grains from the one grain you planted. Whoa. When Jesus says a hundredfold, they're like, what? I mean, what is it? Miracle grow that you got there? I mean, a hundredfold? They, they hardly ever heard of anything like that. Some he says a hundred, some 60, some 30. They're like, this is completely different than all the other soils. What is Jesus talking about? And then they're thinking, wow, Jesus is going to just give us something really deep here. And then he ends the session with this, verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. God bless you. Have a good day. I'm out of here. And he gets off and he rows back on the shore and he's done for the day. And they're just, whoa, a story about farming. Now, what, what is going on here? He's just described all these different soils and he says this statement in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. I got ears, but what does he mean? See, the word hear, it means more than just to listen to. The word here has the idea that you actually understand it, you comprehend it, and you actually apply it. He who has ears, let him hear. And this is not just kind of an intention like a guy standing at a carnival like, hey, listen to me, and everybody just walks by. It's really a command. Listen up. Hear me. Don't miss this. You got ears. You better hear what I'm having to say. And then he just takes off. Now, what is going on here? This is... Who who can understand this? Well, Jesus' disciples are taking this all in. And this is all very different. Jesus is now speaking in parables. What's going on? And so they ask him this big question. Uh, Jesus, uh, verse 10. The disciples came to him and said, "Um, Why uh, do you speak to them, speaking of the Pharisees, the scribes, in parables? Because the Pharisees and the scribes were in that crowd. Man, they're just waiting to nail Jesus, okay? You know, like some of the, you've, you've met these people. They're just like ultra critical. I mean, they got that little scowl. They have the perpetual face of indigestion, you know? And they're just looking for you to mess up, right? And they're going to just nail you. Oh, I remember 10 years ago when you said that, you know? You know and they're just such a joy to be around, right? Well, that's what the Pharisees and the scribes, they're, they're not just looking to harass Jesus. They're looking to kill him. Remember? In chapter 12, they said they were looking for an opportunity to destroy him. And so they're waiting for him. They're looking for him. And and the disciples are going, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus is going to answer that question. Why these parables? What is going on? So he starts giving them the strategy behind his method. He's going to give them three reasons why he does this. The first one, he says, is that he's going to reveal more truth to believers. One of the reasons why he uses parables is he's going to reveal more truth to believers and he's going to do so through parables. And so he says, verse 11, Jesus answered them to you. It has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Verse 12, for whoever has to him more shall be given. Now, this is pretty powerful. You want a statement on God's sovereignty. You're going to see it actually in verse 11. It has been Granted, it is a gift. God gave you the ability to understand. When you see people 
that are growing spiritually and have a depth of understanding of his word, let me tell you, God's at work in that person's heart. And that's what Jesus says. To you, it's been granted, granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That word mystery, mysterion, it has the idea of something that had never before been revealed that now is being made clear in the New Testament. And so that's what he's saying. There are things about the kingdom of heaven, the mysteries about God's kingdom, that had not been previously been disclosed. I'm going to reveal them to you. He says, but to them, it's not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. What Jesus is saying is, you already have an understanding because you come to me, you want to hear, you want to understand, you are asking good questions. And that is, by the way, how a disciple learned from his mentor. He kept asking good questions until he understood fully what his mentor was saying. By the way, if you're going to learn anything, it's going to be rooted in learning how to ask good questions. It is a dying art. But these disciples understood that that is exactly why they're asking these questions. And so Jesus says, I'm going to reveal these things to you. You're my disciples. You're going to have even more. You see that in verse 12? Even more shall be given. You'll have some understanding. I'll give you even more understanding because you have a relationship with me. You are humble. You are submitted to me. You accept me for who I am because I am indeed the Messiah. God says, there is great blessing with that kind of heart. I will give you much, much more. On the other hand, there's another reason why Jesus speaks in parables. He's going to reveal more truth to believers, but he's going to conceal truth from hostile unbelievers. See what he says there? He says, I'm going to bless you for whoever has, verse 12, to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, okay, people that don't get it. They're hostile, they're resentful, they are mean-spirited, hard-hearted. Even what he has shall be taken away from him. Another reason Jesus is going to start with parables is because those who are hostile and rejecting him, even what little they do have, like they heard this story about the farmer and his seeds, that's going to quickly be taken away. You see what's happening here, Jesus' enemies want to nail him. And, and so they're going to be looking for evidence. So it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like this. Oh, man, I just, this Jesus rebel, I, I can't handle him. We have got to do something about him. He's stirring up the masses. I mean, did you hear what he just said? Well, what did he say? Well, he, he's talking about farming and seeds and sowing. Like, really? Really? He's talking about farming? That's, that's a big deal? Well, I don't like it. It makes me angry. You know, and that's kind of the mindset here. They, they don't really understand what he's saying. And so it's just being taken away. And yet at the same time, with this exact same parable, Jesus is going to introduce and give his people great truth and deep spiritual insight. And so he says, you know, even what they have is going to be taken away from them. He says, therefore, I speak, verse 13, to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. While seeing physically, they what? Figuratively With their mind, they do not understand. And while hearing, they hear these words, but they what? They do not hear. They they don't understand it. It has no application to their life, nor do they understand. 
There's, there's one other uh, reason why Jesus is speaking in parables. It was prophesied that this is what Messiah would do. And that's what you find here in verses 14 through 17. Jesus makes it real clear. Isaiah prophesied this is how it's going to be. I am the Messiah. I'm going to start speaking to them about the kingdom of heaven and do so in parables. By the way, about one-third of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, they're used rather synonymously, is done in parable form, in stories. They are concise, they're brief, and they're memorable, and they are packed with truth. But the one who's hostile and unbelieving, they don't get it. And Jesus says, the the third reason I speak this way is because I'm fulfilling prophecy. So he says, verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. If you've been along for the journey as we've gone through Matthew, haven't you noticed time and time and time again, it is pointed out Jesus fulfills the prophecies. There's about 333 prophecies made about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And time and time again, Jesus is precisely fulfilling them. So he says, Isaiah is being fulfilled in your midst. It says this, verse 14, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and notice this one, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, they would hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Isaiah was speaking of the fact that the people of Israel, specifically Judah, was, their, their hearts were just hardened toward God. And so God says, I'm going to send you, Isaiah, and you're going to speak to these people and you're going to speak truth and you're going to call them back to the covenant relationship that I have with them. And you know what? It's almost going to seem like it's in vain. They're going to hear you, but they're not going to hear you. They won't understand. They'll see you, but they simply will not see what I'm accomplishing in their midst. And he says, they're going to close their eyes. You see, you got that mysterious interweaving of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God said, you know, it's not been granted to them. But also he says there, you close your eyes. You oppose. You choose not to listen. You choose to reject me. That all has bearing in the implications of you not receiving the truth and the gospel of the kingdom. Because, you know, otherwise, listen, if you would simply turn to me, he says, Your eyes would be opened. You would hear, I would heal you. Your heart would understand, I would make you well. But Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes. You're not in that situation because they see, and your ears because they hear. I love verse 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, And did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If you want a picture of the Old Testament saint, the person that was in right relationship with God, that was a person yearning to see Messiah, to hear his words, to experience his life. There was a desire. They lived by faith, faith in God, faith in the fact that God was promising and going to send a Messiah. They longed to see it. And he said, you are extremely blessed because I'm here and you're witnessing it all. Now, these people that he's speaking of, Jesus is in their midst. What more does he have to do? Miracles, speaking, giving instruction. 
people are coming to him. They're flooding to him. People are calling the Messiah. They don't get it. It's kind of like it happened in May 18th, 1980. Some of you uh, will remember this event. It's when Mount St. Helens blew. It was, a, it was horrific. I mean, it was like an explosion, like a nuclear bomb. Pe- people could hear the explosion from over 600 miles away. 57 people died when that volcano blew. And it wasn't that they didn't have warning. Like, they were trying to get people to leave and flee because this, vol- it, this mountain is going to blow. They didn't just realize just how powerful that would be. What is very interesting is that there were some people that were within a mile or two miles of the mountain. Okay, that's called dumb. Okay, all right. That's, if you had all those warnings, you know, well, I think we'll go camping by Mount St. Helens. No, yeah, no, I don't think so. But they were, they were there. They're going to take it all in. And these people were, had to be rescued. I wonder why. Okay, what was fascinating is what each one of them said. Those people that were the closest that survived, there were others that were even closer that chose not to evacuate. What was fascinating is these people that were rescued all had the same story. They simply didn't hear the explosion. You're like, what? They said it, it was silence. Some of them saw the black cloud and they thought it was a storm system that was moving in. Like, what? But they didn't, they didn't hear any of the volcano's explosion, though it was heard 600 miles away. And scientists explained what had happened is they were in what is called the zone of silence. The thrust of that volcano was so strong that it actually literally forced the sound waves up and then it bounced several times. But there were certain places that you could be that you would hear absolutely nothing due to the force of that volcano. You were in the zone of silence. Friends, let me just tell you something. If your heart isn't right with God, you're in the zone of of silence. Everybody else is seeing it, hearing it like, whoa, this is magnificent. And you're like, I don't see anything. Is that, is that a cloud system we're coming? You're in the zone of silence because something is wrong with your heart. You're not yielded to God, not submitted to him. There is a real reason why you don't get what the word is saying. So what Jesus is saying is like, I'm going to start speaking in parables. Get ready. And there's reasons why I'm going to do that. You see, the condition of our heart is revealed by your response to his word. Remember what Jesus said? Listen, I'm going to speak in parables. I'm going to give you much more. You're going to be blessed. You you already have something. I'm going to give you much more. I'm going to reveal it to you. Well, Jesus is going to do just that. If you hear... You understand, you know Christ, and you desire to know more. There's a hunger about you. And that really marks the believer. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They want more truth. They're not just, oh, I went to church. I heard a nice little message. I heard the word. They're not content with reading a Bible verse a day and just think that that keeps the devil away kind of mentality. They want to know. There is a yearning and desire for truth. And once you start tasting it, there you will never settle for anything else. Once you get into meat and potatoes, Twinkies will not do anymore, no matter how you were raised. And so they want to know more. And Jesus says, guess what? You know me. You want more. I'm going to give you more. I will give you deep spiritual insight. And so he says in verse 18, he gives them the significance of the parable. He says, verse 18, hear them the parable of the sower. Now, what Jesus is going to do 
as he is going to explain why there are different responses to the word. That's one of the things he wants sowers to know. Why is there different responses to the word? And the second thing he wants them to do is he wants people to evaluate how the condition of a person's heart actually affects their ability to bear fruit. He is going to give them some great spiritual insight. It's all about what's going on in your heart. And when you say heart, don't think emotion. Actually, the heart was the volitional, rational uh, part of the being. That's what they referred to. We associate heart with emotion. They actually associated motion with like your, your stomach or your bowels. Okay? When they talk about heart, it's your mind, your rationale, your ability to reason. And so when he, he's talking about heart, he says, I'm going to give you information about people's hearts. Because your ability to rational, rationalize and understand and think and to hear, literally hear, to apply and to act upon it, that has everything to do with bearing fruit. And that's, by the way, what Jesus was emphasizing. So he says, let me tell you about this parable. The first thing he says is verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Remember, some of the seed was on the road and the birds came and snatched it up, right? Because it just simply couldn't break through. He says, guess what? There is, there is a soil of people's hearts. We'll call it the unresponsive heart. And their heart is just hardened. It's kind of like the scribes and the Pharisees. It didn't matter what Jesus said. They had already decided against him. And there's people like that. It doesn't matter what you have to say. They are dead set against Christ. And what happens? You share with them the word. And that is what the, that the word is, the word of the kingdom. You share with them the word of God, the gospel, the truth of the word. And you put it out there. And it's just like, boop, 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 boop. and it goes nowhere. And notice what Jesus says. And the evil one, you see that? He comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. There it is. Let me tell you, there is a great spiritual war going on. We hardly even understand what's taking place. Even at this present time, the word is going forth, but it is landing on some soils right now, and they're probably working on a business plan for what's going to take place this next week, or thinking about their next grocery list or something, and it, just, it means nothing to them. It's a hard soil, and they can't wait for this to be over. And the evil one just says, let me take that from you. Don't worry about that. God didn't say that. This whole God thing. You're going to get out of here real soon. And seeds out of here. There's a lot of people. You share with a guy at work or your fellow classmate or your roommate. And it's like, what? Get real. And that seed quickly goes away. Well, there's uh, another soil. And look at this next one, he says. Verse 20. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet, look at verse 21, he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the one with the shallow soil. Remember, right underneath there is that bedrock of limestone. And he says, there are going sometimes when the word is sown. Now, Jesus is the initial sower. But remember, he is training his disciples, his followers, to cast the exact same seed. And he's saying, you need to get ready for this. 
there are sometimes you will cast the seed and there'll be people like, yeah, that's awesome. Great. Right. I mean, I don't go to hell. I just have to believe in Jesus. What do I just sign me up? That sounds great. I like that. And there is initially great joy about that. And he says, but what happens, though? Did you see that? Yet has no, verse 21, firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or a persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the deal is this. Jesus is great unless there's a price to pay. These are the people that like Jesus on their terms, not Jesus as he is presented as Lord of the universe. And so what what happens is when persecution or some sort of affliction arises, they're like, oh, wait a second. I didn't sign up for this. God didn't work this out this way. I don't know. And they walk away from him. Or furthermore, what happens is there's some sort of persecution. Like you take some heat for following Jesus. And some of you know very well what this looks like. You told your family that you're a follower of Christ, and they told you what they thought of that. And it wasn't pleasant. Your old friends are like, what? We like the old Grant or the old Sally. What is this Jesus and Christianity bit? No, you better pick who you want to be with. This Jesus guy or us. Well, these people that are superficial just fall away like, oh, okay. Well, you don't like that? Okay. I'll, I'll back off. And and. and now, some people are, get all caught up like, okay, are these believers or unbelievers? Okay, and, they, and actually, that is actually to miss the point of the parable. You see, what he's emphasizing here is he, he is emphasizing the condition of your heart. What is it in your heart that is preventing growth that leads to fruit? Okay, actually, Jesus doesn't even answer the question whether they are a believer or an unbeliever. In fact, if you get all hung up on that, you miss the point. The point is, there are different responses when the seed goes out. And second of all, there are hard issues that have to be addressed. That's not speaking of more of a final condition as is a temporal situation. When you have a heart that quickly is falling away and and not wanting to follow Jesus, that tells you there's something inside you that needs to be addressed by Jesus himself. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying there they have no firm root. There is rock that your relationship with Jesus is going to have to address. And let's let's just talk about this for a minute. If you are rather superficial. And now God is starting to surface sin in your life because he wants you holy, not just positionally, but practically, whether it be pornography or your propensity to lie or your anger issues or your bitterness or your alcohol problem or your drug issues or your immoral behavior God has a way of surfacing this. There is that rock, and he wants to crush it. He wants to take it away by the power of Christ. But if you use that same rock and go, oh, no, my Christianity stops right there because you're not messing with my pet sins, then what happens? There's no fruit being born out of your life. He's addressing these heart issues. You see, the journey of holiness is experienced by those who are submitted and yielded to Jesus Christ. When God brings those to your mind, don't defend them. Don't run away from the Lord. God, help me. You are the only one who could address these issues. You are the only one who can grant me understanding. 
Lord, help me. Well, then there's this other heart. Look at this one, verse 22. If verses 20 and 21 haven't stirred you up, 22 probably will. And Jesus says, verse 22, And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is the worldly heart. You see, it looks good. Deep soil, the plants are growing. But you see, you have competing interests in your heart. And if these competing interests are not addressed, it'll lead to no fruit. It's an indication of a heart problem. Those weeds have to be eradicated. And he names two, specifically the worry of the world. You're just consumed about life here. And so you're worried about it. You're stressed about it. It might be issues at home, with your family, at work, uh, in your church, your car. And what happens is, yes, we all have problems, okay? To live is to have problems. But instead of just letting them consume us and drive us in the spiral of despair, we learn to take these things to the Lord and say, God, you help, help me. May I have your peace. We consider it all joy, not because it's joyful to be in it, because Christ will see us through it. And we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. But if you don't get that figured out, it has a way of choking you so that you don't bear fruit. And that is the whole purpose of this parable. God wants you to bear fruit. And not only is it worries, okay, but it is also the wealth, riches. And this is the one that's, these two, man, Jesus just nailed it. When he talks about riches, when you were consumed about your car and your house and your life insurance and how much money you've got in this account and what your checking account looks this way. And it's all about money and that you look a little bit nicer than everybody else and everybody notices the outfit that you've got on. And you're just always thinking about you, your wealth, your position in society. Jesus says that kind of heart condition speaks of weeds that need to be eradicated by me. Because if it's not addressed, you will bear what? Not some fruit. No fruit. You see that? It chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. When you are consumed by worry and riches, this word is no longer important to you. You will spend 15 hours looking at your computer and trying to figure out these finances and you won't even give the word 15 seconds. Why? Because there's a heart problem that has to be addressed by Jesus. The word's being choked out and fruit is not going to be born. And then he says, you know, if you're like, it's really like, man, I'm totally discouraged at this point. Uh, you know, you know, you're trying to sow the seed and you realize like, wow, all these soils, man, it's like one problem after another. Jesus says, I don't want you to be overwhelmed with concern. He says there is a soil and notice how he concludes this. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, verse 23, this is the man who hears the word and understands it and who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. You see, God has a way of changing hearts and there will be just a manifold expression of fruit, fruit of love, giving of life, your character, holiness in life, giving of your finances, the fruit of praise of lips that will come from some hearts as God is working. And so think of it this way, friends. All of us have heart issues. 
And Jesus addresses them. I mean, think of the hard issues that you have. I'm thinking of the ones that I have. Jesus addresses those so that you and I will bear fruit, the fruit of praise and worship and character and godliness and holiness in this life. And when you, if you're a sower and you're giving out the seed, yeah, let me just tell you what it's like. You cast out seed and some people just like, just bounces off. Some people, it lasts a very short time. They're initially excited. They're just like, then they just like, what's going on? They flipped out. They're just gone. And then you, some, yeah, it's, yeah, but they got this competing interest and it gets choked out. But then sometimes you've got soil that bears rich fruit. And that is why discipleship is so important because a discipler gets in there and helps you work with heart conditions. Now, friends, don't be like taking like I've got one seed, like one seed of truth. Like you're running like some sort of like intro 4-H project. And you're like, I'm just going to hold on to this one seed and I'm going to wait for the perfect time. And then I'm going to just cast it right in there and see what happens. No, what you want to do is you want to sow broadly. You want to. You want to sow wherever you have an opportunity. God is the one that changes hearts and brings his growth. The issue is not foliage, okay, things growing up. The issue is fruit. That's what God wants in all of our life. See, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So tonight, or this, this morning, I want to ask you this. What What is going on in your heart? What is going on in your heart? Is there there rock that's preventing growth? Are you possibly being choked out by the worries and the riches of this world? Are you here today? And it's like, wow, every time I've ever heard this gospel and about Jesus, it's always bounced off. What is going on that is preventing you today of just fully yielding to Christ? and having them address those hard issues. You are in for a fight. Your flesh will not want to give these things up. But God wants to bear much fruit, more than just one on ten, hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, and he'll do it. And so we come to this passage here this morning. We go, God, you give great depth of insight to those who are yielded to you. And they see the condition of our heart is revealed by our response to his word. And as Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the clarity of your word. How you have spoken so clearly of all the different ways people respond to the word of the kingdom. We could be discouraged and yet, Lord, we see that you're the one who's at work. You're the one who brings changes. And even now, you are cultivating a heart of desire. Sins are being surfaced and perhaps even confessed in the silence at this time. For God, we desire that we would bear much fruit for your cause, to your glory. And so, Lord, whatever is going on in our lives and our hearts, we, we lay it before you. We thank you for the truth of your word, the love of the Son, and the life we have in his spirit. And we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm back on? All right. Must have been time to end the sermon. You always know the sound guy cuts you off, right? All right.
we got a few announcements here. Uh, one, I want to make a real special announcement. Um, we have been in the process of looking and trying to identify the next guy on our staff team, especially in the area of, of administration and giving us uh, like someone who could function as an operations manager because our church continues to grow. We have ministries happening all locally in so many different ways and now even internationally. And so we've been looking for uh, someone to step into that role. And I know that you've been following and periodically giving reports. I want to tell you, we have found a man in our midst who has exceptional skills with counting, computers, building experience, working with people. He's got a standing character and he's standing right here to my right, Craig Ratliff. And we have just asked him to come on to our staff team. Uh, He accepted just this past week on Thursday, and we are thrilled that God has raised up a man in our midst. Welcome aboard, man. Now, I know that you know Craig, and you're like, man, he's a great worship guy, but like both sides of this guy's brain are working, okay? You know, and so we are thrilled to have him and Tangela. So uh, later today and at the picnic, make sure you just pass on your congratulations. You will definitely be seeing and hearing more from him, especially you, many of you who have ministries that are touching base with the church. So we're extremely encouraged. And Matt, you've got a few other things, right? I have a few things. I am grateful for that and that the God has blessed us with Craig. It's going to be, man, you don't know how grateful I am, actually. Whew. 